guys, good morning. Good morning, Jimmy. What's up? You guys look good. Man, the sun has come out. At, at least, I think I see the sun out at the sun. So I, I said to the 830 crowd and the 945 crowd that people who come to church on Sunday morning when it's raining are people who really love Jesus. Okay, but it's not raining right now. So I'm going to assume that all of y'all love Jesus, right? If you love Jesus, say Amen. amen. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys. If you're a, if you're a first-time uh, guest with us today, uh, my name is Jimmy Britt. I'm the lead pastor. And uh, on behalf of all of us who are members and regular attenders, welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, open it up or turn it on and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. Today we are going to be in verses 15 through 25, kind of the end of the chapter and the end of the book. Uh, if, you're, if you're just joining us today, we are in a series of messages through the Gospel of John, which I have cleverly titled the Gospel of John. It's great, isn't it? Um, I, I'm not very creative, and I stink with titles, so I just thought we could call the series the Gospel of John. And here's what we're doing. We're just walking through it. And, and unpacking it. Now, I, I realize that if you are just joining us today, you're looking at that thinking, okay, that's, that's the end of the book. But in reality, we started this series at Easter, and we started with the Gospel of John, where the Gospels begin, and that is with the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And so what we'll do next week is we're going to go to John chapter 1 and literally just start walking back through the gospel. So you're here at a a great time and I'm glad that you are. Let me me start this morning by asking you a question. Have you, and I'm not even sure how old you have to, to be to be able to answer this question, but have you ever really messed up in life All right, now just think about it a minute because I'm not talking about the low-level mess-ups. I'm talking about the high-level mess-ups. I mean, where, where you did something that even now to think about it, it hurts you and that you regret now, I've, I've had a couple of those. You know, maybe it's, um, maybe it's that you, you let someone down, someone who's depending on you. You, you let them down. Um, it, it could be something that was a mistake or an accident. You didn't, you didn't mean for it to happen. But then it, it might be something that you did intentionally. I like, um, I like Irish poetry. Anybody else in here like Irish poetry? Okay. Well, my favorite Irish poet is Bono. Okay, so some of you like you too as well. Okay, now now you're with you're you're picking it up. Um, Bono and you too put out an album. I I can't remember exactly when it was. I think it was in the late '80s. Uh, Rattle and hum, and great album. And uh, and one of the songs on the album. Do they even still call them albums? I'm not sure. CD, what, anyway, um, there's a song on there by Bono and, 
and B.B. King called When Love Comes to Town. Bono wrote the song, but he wrote it for he and B.B. King to record and, as I mentioned, put on to this album. And B.B. King said that when he first uh, when he first saw the lyrics, he wasn't too sure about it. He said, I- I'm not sure that um, a guy that was Bono's age at that time can really understand, you know, um, the bluesiness of a song like this. And the song is about a guy who just messes up in life. And he, he's living his own way, doing his own thing, making his own rules. Um, it, he's the, the captain of his own ship. Those are some of his, his own words in the song. And I think the second, the second verse says something like, used to make love under a red sunset, uh, saying words I was soon to forget. She was as pale as her wedding gown. Uh, no, she was pale as the, I should have wrote this down. She was as pale as the lace on a wedding dress. And I left her at the altar in her wedding gown. And he said, I did that before love came to town, before I met Jesus, before I was, before I was changed. And at the, at the end of the song, when, when you know that he's had a life change and a heart change, you, you go back and you, you read those lyrics or you listen to those lyrics and you realize, man, leaving that girl at the altar in her wedding gown, that was one of his big mess ups in life. That's something he'd like to take back. But, but he can't, he's already done it. Maybe you've betrayed someone like that. Maybe you didn't leave someone at the altar in their wedding gown, but maybe, maybe you broke your wedding vows. Or maybe you told a, a secret that a friend had shared with you out of trust and, and you betrayed them because you, you told someone else. And that hurts, doesn't it? Peter understood that as well. He knew what that was like. I, I would imagine that his betrayal of Jesus, he would call that his greatest mess up in his life. His betrayal of Jesus is really the context and the setup to John 21, 15 through 25. Matthew and Luke tell us about what this betrayal was like. They, they give different perspectives, but it's, it's a powerful story. Jesus and his disciples on the night he was arrested and, and, and betrayed was having the Lord's Supper is what we would call it, but Jesus and his disciples, for them, it was Passover and uh, they were having this meal together, and Jesus was trying to explain to them uh, what, what was going to be happening later in the night. And the, the truth is, he's been trying to tell them in, in subtle ways, now not so subtle, but in subtle ways about what's going to be happening to him. That he's going to die, but he would come back to life, and, and they just don't seem to get it. And so, on, on that night... Jesus was trying to help them understand more. And as a part of this, he said, tonight the sheep will be scattered from the shepherd. 
Now, they, they knew what that meant because Jesus had told them, I am the good shepherd. They understood that they were his followers and Jesus was their leader. And he's saying to them, tonight, all of my followers, my sheep will be scattered away from me, the good shepherd. And John, the disciple John, leaned back on Jesus and asked, Who, who's, who's gonna run away? Who's gonna betray you? And Jesus said, all of you will run away from me. Peter spoke up and said, not me. I'll, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And Jesus said, Peter, actually you will. In fact, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, which is a way of saying, before the alarm clock goes off tomorrow, how many of you grew up waking up to a rooster alarm a few of us, yeah. Well, I say a few of us. I did not. But a few, a few of us in this room have. Before, before the alarm clock goes off tomorrow, you will have denied me three times. And, and Peter, God love him. Some of us have this problem too. He just couldn't stay shut up about it. And he said, no, 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 not me. Not, not me. And then he threw all these disciples under the bus. He said, even if all these guys run away from you, I won't. In, in a sense, what he's saying is, I, I love you more than everybody in this room. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Jesus said, well, you will. Flash forward, Garden of Gethsemane. Judas leads the Praetorian guard out into the garden. Religious leaders are there. He betrays Jesus with a kiss, which is how you would have greeted your teacher, your, your master, your rabbi. Um, I, I would prefer just a fist pump. You don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to kiss, just a fist pump. Handshake, something like that. I don't need. For, for a bit, Peter holds good on a statement. For a bit. Uh, when they went to arrest Jesus... Peter grabbed a sword from one of the guards. And these are not just, these are serious guards. These are tough guys. He grabs the sword and cuts the ear off of one of these Praetorian soldiers. And then Jesus puts a stop to all of it. And he said, Peter, essentially, he said, that's not what I'm about. That's not what you're going to be about. That's not what this is. And when the disciples, all of them, including Peter, realized that this wasn't going to be a, a fight, this, this is not going to be a knife fight or a sword fight, there's not going to be any bloodshed here, they all ran away from Jesus. Now, Peter didn't completely run away. The other gospels tell us that Peter followed Jesus at a distance which honestly is the way lots of us try to follow Jesus, just at a distance. We want to be close enough to Jesus to see where he's going, but maybe not so closely that other people can say, hey, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. He ends up in the courtyard of Caiaphas, the high priest, where Jesus is on trial for his life. Three times in and around that courtyard, Peter denies knowing Jesus. The third time was 
while he and others, because this it's a kangaroo court, but it is the biggest thing going on in, in Jerusalem. And there are lots of people in this, in this courtyard. And Peter is with some of them around a fire. He's, he's warming his hands. And a, a young girl, a servant girl who's there, she said to Peter, not where it's just, you know, Peter and this girl, there's other people listening around. This is a dangerous thing, she says to him. She says, you're with the Galilean. Jesus was from the region of Galilee. You are with the Galilean. Peter said, no, 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 I'm, I'm not with him. She said, listen, I can, tell, I can tell you're with him. I've seen you with him, and your accent gives you away. You know, just like, um, you know, if you're from Boston, and you're in the South, and you start talking, we can recognize you're not from here. Or if uh, you're from, uh, from North Carolina or Alabama and you go up to, to New York and you begin talking, they can tell immediately that you're not from the North. You're from the South. It's the accent that gives you away. She says, I, I know that you're not from here. You don't have a cosmopolitan tongue about you. I can tell by the way you're trying to speak Greek to us with that Southern accent, you're from Galilee. Galilee, Alabama. You're not, you're not from around here. And he said back, I am not with him. And he cursed and swore. And his cursing was essentially this. I swear to God, I do not know this man. And after he spoke those words, the rooster began to crow. And when Peter heard the rooster the words of Jesus about him betraying him three times before the rooster crows came back to his mind. And Luke tells us in his gospel that Jesus turned and looked directly into Peter's eyes. They locked. And Peter ran away and wept bitterly. And he basically vanishes. He misses out on everything else, at, at least the, the floggings and the crucifixion. He wasn't there when Jesus died. There's no record of him being with some of the other disciples and the women who were there when Jesus was placed in the tomb. He's just gone until Easter morning. And if you guys remember back to Easter here it, it was Mary Magdala who went to the tomb probably with other women. That's the way Mark and the other gospel writers recall it, that she went to the tomb and went inside and saw that Jesus was not there. So she ran back and told Peter about it. And Peter and John ran back to the tomb and they discovered that the tomb is empty. John tells us in the beginning of John 21 that... Um, Jesus has appeared to his disciples two other times. This is the, the third time. Now, the other gospel writers, just hang, hang with me on this for a minute. The other gospel writers, they, 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 all, they all have their perspective 
on that first Easter morning. And I love the way Mark puts it. And this is, this is interesting to me, I think, because Mark's gospel is really a collection of Peter's sermons. John Mark, who wrote Mark's gospel, he was a part of the larger group of Jesus' followers. And after Jesus was resurrected and went back into heaven, John Mark started going everywhere with Peter while Peter was preaching, and he wrote Peter's sermons down for him, and that's how we end up with the gospel of John Mark. So it's Peter who's telling the story that John Mark writes down. And Mark says, again, this is Peter, on the first day of the week, Easter morning, Mary, several Marys, were on their way to the garden tomb. They were going to prepare Jesus' body. And on the way there, they were discussing how in the world they were going to roll a stone away from the tomb because that it was a huge stone. It's meant to be locked in place. Took several men to do it. How are we going to remove it? When they got there, they saw that the stone had already been rolled away. And when they stepped inside, they didn't see Jesus. Instead, they saw two men robed in white. And one of them said, don't be afraid. You've come looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He's not here. He's alive. C- come and see for yourself. And inside of the tomb, there is the place where you would put the body, but then there's a preparation um, area and a viewing chamber. And these women, all this is coming right back to you, Aunt Imani, being in that, in that tomb. They apparently look and see that indeed Jesus is not there. And then the angels gave Mary and the other women a message that you know came straight from Jesus. He said, go now and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. And just as he told them, he will meet them by the Sea of Galilee. Go tell the other disciples, including Peter. Why would Jesus throw that in there? Because Jesus knew, he knew Peter. He, he knew that Peter is somewhere and has been for three days. Ever since he heard that Jesus has been crucified, indeed he's dead and buried, he, he knew that Peter is thinking, I, I now I don't have a chance to make this right. Now what do I do? And then on Easter morning, when the women come back and say, Jesus is alive, the tomb is empty, he wants us to meet him by the Sea of Galilee. If he didn't mention Peter's name, Peter would be going, am I still in this group? Do I still get to come? So Mary, tell me exactly what Jesus said, or exactly what the angel said. Did they say, go back and tell the other disciples? Or did he mention John by name? Did he mention me? Do I go or not? Well, the invitation has his name on it. And so that's why they all meet here by the Sea of Galilee together. When the disciples, and not all of them are there, but there are seven, and when they, when they get there, Jesus hasn't arrived yet. And Peter, at some point, for his own reasons, 
He says, I'm going fishing. It's like he says, I'm not really good at this, or I don't know what to do next. I'm just going to go do, I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to the nets. Now, I really appreciate following Jesus. Tell, tell him I said I love him. Tell him, tell him thank you. But I'm going back to, to the business world. I'm going back to what I know how to do. I'm good at that. I can make money there. I can't make so much money here with this. Um, it's going to be good for business. I'm going to put on my business card, you know, former follower of Jesus Christ. I, I'll even list that as my um, that's where I went to college. It, it'll be good for business. And, and I'll give you guys some money along the way, but I've, I've got to go do this. I, I'm going to go fishing. And of course, you, you know, if you've been here the last couple of weeks or if you've read through the story, you know that Jesus does appear to them. And there's a miraculous catch of fish. There's a great breakfast on, on the beach that Jesus prepared for them. It's it's charcoal, grilled fish, and bread. How many of you eat fish for breakfast? I eat fish too, Gene, but not for breakfast. I caught them. <laughs> That's the way I am. I've been to Israel about half a dozen times or so. And on the breakfast buffet that they offer, they, they always have fish, all kinds of fish for breakfast. And I just, I just, I can't do it. But Apparently, they've been doing it for a long time. They have a great breakfast right there by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus fixed it, fish and bread. After it was over, Jesus digs into his agenda. His agenda is with Peter. And he addresses the elephant in the room. The one that at least publicly, no one has addressed And so, here's how John begins. When they had finished eating, Jesus and these seven disciples, including Peter, because not not all of them are there, just, just a portion of them. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these. Now, we're going to camp on this verse for, for just a minute, but I don't, I don't want you to get it discouraged because we're going to be here several minutes, but I don't want you to start looking at your watch thinking, oh my gosh, he has spent 10 minutes with this verse, and there are 10 more verses. We're going to be here till 3 this afternoon. But if you don't catch this part, I think that maybe you, you miss everything else. Simon's name had been changed from Simon to Peter. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, he was with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus was asking them some questions. Uh, Who who do other people say that I am? What what are the people saying? What, What are you hearing? Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're John the Baptist come back from the grave, which which would have been a huge compliment, humanly speaking, for Jesus. They're, they're saying that you're, you're someone great. And then Jesus said, okay, who do you say I am? And Peter said, and this is his confession, you are the Messiah of God. Like we've seen enough already to know who you are. You are the Christ of God. You are the one that the world has been waiting on. You are the Savior. And Jesus said, it's on That kind of faith, a profession of faith that's so great as that, that I will build my kingdom, the church, 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said, now your name is no longer Simon, it's Peter, which means the rock. How cool is that? To be called the rock. See, if, if I was Peter, I would have had t-shirts made up, you know, the rock on the back. I mean, this is the original WWE. It, he's, he's the rock. But not here. I would imagine that just hearing his name called, Peter would have thought, oh my gosh. Jesus is not even calling me Peter anymore. He's gone back to Simon. He is ticked off at me. Not only did he call him Simon, he called him Simon, son of John. Now, back then, these guys didn't have last names. So a lot of times, if they wanted to identify which Simon they're talking about, they would use his father's name because that would narrow it down more. But to use it here in this context, for us, something similar would be uh, like when, when you were a kid maybe and you were in trouble with your mother and your mother said your first name and then she added her middle name. You knew that mama was trying to get your attention, right? Now, now my mom never called me by my middle name. Ne- never did. And uh, I, I was telling her about this message yesterday because we had a family wedding down in, in Cary, North Carolina. And um, I was telling her about this message. And I, I said, you know, I, I realized when I was looking at this that uh, you never called me by my middle name. And she didn't really have a reason for it. But the reason I think it is because my middle name is Dewey. And so I think she never yelled out the door at me, James Dewey? Because if the other kids in the neighborhood would have heard that, they might start bullying me for it. You might get beaten up with a name like Dewey. So maybe my mom is just looking out for me. But I had an aunt who, when she was really fired up at at one of my cousins, who was kind of like a brother to me growing up, she would call him by his middle name, Sean Edward. I can remember being at his house lots of times. We were playing in the neighborhood, other kids, and my Aunt Lynn would come out the door, and she would yell, Sean! And man, she just had a way of, of doing it. It was, it was high and low all at the same time. And it was, it was loud. Like, we could hear her several streets over. Now, the first time she called his name, that was like the first bell that's like, our, all right, the 10-minute or so countdown is on. But there's going to be at least one more bell, maybe two more. Possibly three more. We'll just have to see what happens here. So after a couple minutes, she knows we're not on our way home. So she comes out and she yells it again, a little higher and a little lower. Got some mid-range tones in there and a little louder. So she's serious. Now, just depending on what we're doing, we might just walk away right then. But probably not. The third time, she would say, Sean Edward. And it was something about how she included the Edward that it, it, it would kind of make you <laughs> goosebumps. It's kind of like you need to look to see if the devil just walked up behind you. Uh. And it didn't matter what you were doing then. 
you dropped everything and went home. I, I've, I've heard her yell, Sean Edward, and all the other kids leave and go to their homes. <laughs> it's over. And like, you better get there before her voice stops ringing throughout the neighborhood. It, it meant to get your attention. And that's what Jesus is doing right here. He means to get Peter's attention. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Love, what what does that mean? It, it, It means in some ways almost nothing to us anymore because we use this, the same word for um, how we talk about loving our spouse or loving our kids, loving our favorite football team, or loving a steak. It's like we use it and we don't really think about what it means anymore. But what the word means here in Greek, maybe even Aramaic, depending on what Jesus and Peter are speaking back and forth. It means commitment. Supreme commitment. It doesn't have anything to do with feelings and emotions. It has everything to do with commitment. And so he says, Simon, son of John, are you committed to me? But the commitment means that it's a supreme commitment. Not not like, do you love me right now? Do do you love me more than most things? It means, do you love me more than anything? Do you love me more than everyone? Am I number one in your life? Simon, son of John, are you committed to me? Do you love me more than these? What do you think these refers to? It's hard to know for sure. But let's assume that Jesus and his disciples are sitting around this fire together. Jesus could have walked over toward the water and pointed toward the boats and the nets and asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these boats and nets? Do you, do you love me more than what you have experienced and what you call life to this point? Do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than making money? Do you love me more than your identity? People know you as Simon the fisherman. Do, do you love me more than that? Or it, it could be that Jesus says, do you love me more than these disciples? You said you did. And man, that would, that would sting, wouldn't it? Do, do you love me more than these guys? And Simon's response is a little bit flippant. He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. 
It's only a few words. It's even less words in, in Greek than it is here in English. It's almost like he's saying, yeah, yes, Lord, I know. Let's talk about something else. Let's talk about the weather. We don't need to bring that back up. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about my mistakes. I don't, I don't want to talk about how I have blown it. Yes, I love you. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Adding that truly there gives a little more definition to it. No, 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 Simon. Huh? You don't get off that easy. I'm not trying to back you into a corner. I'm not trying to hurt you, but you've got to answer me better than that. Do you really love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know how I feel about you. And Jesus said again, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? So three times. Why three times? Because Peter had denied Jesus three times. It's more than symbolic. Jesus knows Peter just like he knows you. He knows how you think. He knows how you react or respond to things. And he knows that Peter needs to know that this thing is fully forgiven and fully behind him. He can't go forward with any questions about this whatsoever. So Jesus is going to make sure that thoroughly Peter understands where he messed up and thoroughly that he is forgiven, thoroughly that he has been restored and even given a new job. Remember that Peter is a part of that group who were fishermen when Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But notice now he's given a new task. He's not called a fisher of men. He's called a shepherd of sheep. He's saying, okay, if, if, you, if you really love me, if you're really committed, I'm going to give you a new job, a new assignment. And in some ways, listen, don't, don't forget this. Let me tell you, especially for those of you right now who are struggling between the business world and the ministry world. And what I mean by that is some of, God is calling some of you in here to ministry. God is calling some of you to preach. God is calling some of you to youth ministry or to the worship ministry. And you feel like you can't do that because you are so identified out here in the business world. When the world looks at you, when they think of you, when they pick up your card, they see realtor. When they look at your card, they see banker. When they look at your business card, they see contractor. But Jesus is saying to Peter, you're never going back to those nets. You're never going to be a fisherman again. I want you to to be the shepherd of my sheep. Jesus is saying, I want you to share in my job. Jesus is the good shepherd. Listen, well, I'm not going to say all that, but or am I? He's not saying you're the shepherd. He's saying you're a shepherd. You, you work for the good shepherd, Jesus, who is the rancher. 
you know, I'm, I'm a pastor, and I pastor and lead this flock, but I am not the shepherd, capital T, capital S. The shepherd is Jesus. And that goes for me, that goes for the Pope, that goes for the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, that goes for everybody, every pastor. We are shepherds, we are leaders, but we're not the shepherd. He's sharing this new work with him. I want you to to lead my people. Do you love me? He asks this third time. And Peter was hurt now. He's hurt. Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And so he said, Lord, you know all things. And you know I love you. What can I keep from you? What can I hide from you? Jesus, I've been with you long enough to know that you know everything that is. I have heard you speak the thoughts of other religious leaders. You know my thoughts. You know what's in my heart. You see me inside and out. And you know I love you. So once more, Jesus says, feed my sheep. But he adds the statement that is in verse 18. And this is big. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. John explains this in verse 19. He adds this as almost a commentary. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death. He's going to be martyred by which Peter would glorify God. He's saying that all the way to the end of your life, Peter, you're you're going to live for me. Even in your dying, you're going to live for me. Then he said to him, follow me. And that's where the restoration is complete. Forgiveness made. He's saying, Peter, I know you love me. Listen, I, I called you knowing you cuss too much because you're a sailor, you're a fisherman, you can't help it. I I called you knowing how rough around the edges you are. I called you knowing you were an ear cutter, Peter. I know it. And I forgive you, and I'm giving you a new job, a new assignment. And I want you to put me first. Listen, Loving Jesus is more than just good intentions. What is it they say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of shipwrecks along the way too. Good intentions don't don't cut it. We, We intend to follow Jesus. Well, Either follow him or don't follow him. Either be committed to him or or stop pretending to yourself. Do you want to know how you know when you're committed to Jesus? When When you really love him? There are two indicators. Service and sacrifice. 
Jesus is saying here to Peter, if you're committed to me, feed my sheep. Peter, it's not all about you anymore, big boy. That's how my daddy would have said it. Sometimes I envision that's the way the Lord would say it too. Not that my daddy's the Lord, but man, he can be tough. Hey, it's not, a, it's not about you anymore. It's not about what you want. It's not about your needs. It's about you serving my people. It's about you doing your job for me. The way you serve me, Peter, is you serve others. Now, now listen, some, some of you are thinking, okay, I, I hear what you're saying, Jimmy. Um, maybe I need to go to Africa and feed hungry, starving people there. Well, God might be calling you to that. God has called a couple out of our church to go to South Africa where they do all sorts of tremendous ministry to reach out to the people there with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe Jesus is calling you. He's still calling missionaries. Maybe he is calling you, but I'll bet that's not the place to start. I could say, hey, listen, uh, the, the place for you to start serving is you take a connection card and mark on there that you want to serve and volunteer somewhere. And if, if, if you're not plugged in, you ought to be plugged in somewhere. But I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure that you serving in a ministry at Rocky River Church is the place for you to start. The place for you to start is in your own home. Serving your own family. I'm not saying that's the, the only place you should do it. That's where you ought to start. You can't be committed to Jesus if you're not serving people. You can't follow Jesus if you're not serving people. Listen, I'm, I'm going to say at this pointed, I'm not your judge. Like you're not mine. But I'm not even sure you're a Christian if you're not serving. Because if you're not serving, you're still buying the gospel. You're not selling it. You're still trying to to import the gospel, but you're not exporting it. You can't tell other people about Jesus if you're not serving other people because you don't get the gospel. And I'll tell you just from my own experience, the hardest place to serve people is under your own roof. It is much easier for me to do something for some of you than it is to think of myself as a servant at home. Guys, especially if you're a man, why? Because I'm the king of this castle. And we might not walk around, you know, wearing a crown on our head, but we sort of walk around like we have a scepter in our hand. This is, um, you know, I'm the illustrious potentate here. Somebody bring me my slippers. And by the way, does anybody live in that kind of environment? Do you live where somebody's always bringing your slippers? and stuff? I don't. I'm just wondering if anybody else has it that way.
Want to change your marriage, men? It goes for women too. But I like saying this stuff to men because I think it begins with men. Want to change your marriage? Start serving your wife. M- married, married men? Want to change your sex life? Become a servant at home. Want to change your kids? Whip them every now and again. No. <laughs> Some of them need that, man. Let me tell you. I, I was in Kroger, just to chase a little rabbit here. I was in Kroger yesterday in Cary, and I, I was walking down. Uh, actually, I was coming around an end cap, and there was a little boy there, maybe eight years old or so. And he has just pulled all sorts of stuff down off of, of a shelf. There are, there are brooms and mops and stuff. It's all laying out on the floor. And uh, I just walked by and I got like a, a glimpse of old school. I thought, man, you're going to get your butt beat. And then I heard his dad say, oh, Tristan, you shouldn't do that. Son, look what a mess you've made for me. I thought, man, that's your problem right there. That's your kid's problem. You know why you're picking up that kid's stuff in that aisle? Because when he was about four, you didn't just wear his butt out for that. And so, you know, enjoy picking that stuff up off the floor. Anyway, I digress. (laughs) You want to change your kids? Show them what it means to be a servant. And it means sacrifice. Let, let, let Let me tell you. It doesn't just cost you something to follow Jesus. It costs you everything. That's not what we want. We want to be able to follow Jesus the way Peter was following Jesus back back after he was arrested. We want to see where he's going. We just don't want to be right up in there behind him. We we don't want to really do the stuff he's doing. Like Peter didn't go up in there behind Jesus and say, yes, I'm, I'm with him. Because he didn't want to die for him. And Jesus is saying to him, it's going to cost that. It's going to cost you making sacrifices. It's going to cost you everything. You've got to be willing to give your life. Listen, I would dare say that all of us in this room, because we live in the United States of America and where we, at least for now, still have freedom of religion, we're, we're never going to be crucified for, for following Jesus. Peter was. And, and Peter's probably been dead 25 years by the time John writes this gospel. So John knew how Peter died. Peter was killed during the persecution where he was hung on a cross. And just before being crucified, he has to be hung upside down because he said, I'm not worthy of being crucified like my Lord. He, he did die as a martyr. But, but most of us are not going to have to do that. But let me tell you something. You're going to have to die to other things. You're going to have to die for what you want or die to what you want. You have to die to yourself. That's what it means to say that Jesus is Lord. When Jesus is Lord, your plans have to be set aside. Maybe that includes the boats and the nets, but it might not. He might call you to be a shepherd. Maybe it includes you going to law school or medical school 
but it may be the call to go to the continent of Africa or to Western Europe or to West Charlotte. The point is you've got to be willing to sacrifice all of that to follow him. Because when Jesus is Lord, he's the one who's calling the shots. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John. He's following them. So now it seems like Jesus and Peter are walking down the beach. This is the one who leaned back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what about him? And John is writing this from his own memory, from his own experience. He heard Peter ask about it, and he heard Jesus' response. Now, how did he ask it? We don't know. It could have been that Peter and John had a close relationship, and he, he loved John. And he's saying, what, what about him? Is he going to have to die a martyr too? It could have been that Peter was much older and John was, was young. Lord, he, he's not going to die as a young man, as a martyr, is he? Or, or it could have been Peter asking the way we often ask God this question. Well, what about him? Don't he have to do it too? Don't he ever have to go through something hard? Why has it got to be me all the time? And so Jesus gives a profound answer. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? It's none of your business. We're not talking about John. We're talking about Peter. You must follow me. John says, because of this, the rumor spread throughout the brothers. And how many of us know that a rumor will spread among the brothers? It'll spread among the brothers and the sisters here, just like it does at any other church, just like it does where you work, just like it does at the ball field. You know why? Because you're there. Because there's people there. And people spread rumors. The rumor spread among the brothers that the disciple John would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. You know how we know? Because everything in the gospel of John comes out of his own experience with Jesus. He's not writing about things he's heard about. He's not even giving someone else's testimony. He's saying, these are the things that I have experienced and I know that they are true. And you can't argue with that. You know why? Because it's John's experience. It's his testimony. And part of what this means here, at least partly is that you may never go all across the world like Paul or Billy Graham preaching the gospel. You and I may never write like John. But you follow Jesus anyway. You do what you are supposed to do. 
And at the very minimum, all of us who have experienced Jesus can tell about our experience with him. I can tell you a lot of times about when I've messed up, but let me tell you something. I can tell you about the first time that I put my faith and my trust in Jesus. I can tell you about the time when I know that my sins were forgiven. I can tell you about my experiences with Jesus. And that's all really that we're asked to share. And if you are committed to Jesus, then you've got that testimony. If you don't have that testimony, then you're probably not a Christian. You're probably not a follower. You're not really committed. And John ends by saying, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. That's not John saying, um, if everything Jesus ever said or did was written down in a book, the, the planet would pop. What he's saying is that no matter how hard you try, you can't fit Jesus into these nice categories where you can explain him. No matter how hard you try, you, you can't explain the power and the triumphs and the miracles that Jesus has performed. You can try, but you can't fully do it. It's almost like he says, and you ain't seen nothing yet. And you haven't. Greater things than what we read about in the Gospel of John take place in Acts and beyond. And that same Jesus is still forgiving people, calling people, forgiving people when they screw up, calling them again, restoring them to ministry. At times, he even gives a new ministry. Like where Peter was a fisher of men, but now he's a good shepherd. It's, it's, a, it's a, new, a new assignment because the other one's been screwed up so bad. Have you experienced him? Are you sure? Let's stand together for prayer. Just once you're standing, you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Before you start moving around, before you start checking out, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to answer the question. This is between you and Jesus, not you and Jesus and everybody in this room, or even the person sitting next to you. It's between you and Jesus. Do you really love him? Do you? Are you committed to him? Are you sure? Can you prove it? Are you serving? Are you sacrificing? Is it him first? Maybe it was. Maybe it was him first, but maybe like Peter, you, you messed up. You sinned in a big way. And now you're wondering if the Lord can forgive you. Absolutely, right now, he can forgive you. 
Maybe your prayer this morning needs to be a prayer of new commitment. Because you need to trust him for the first time. I'm not asking if you're a member of the church or a member of some other church. I'm not asking if you've been to vacation Bible school. I'm not asking you about your parents' commitment to Christ. I'm asking you, have you ever made a commitment to Christ? Have you ever asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever invited Jesus to come into your life? Have you ever said, and not only with good intentions, but you've lived it out this way, Jesus first. So if you've messed up, just say in your own way to the Lord right now, he's listening. Just say, I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me for that sin that keeps popping up into my life, the, the one that leads me away from you. Forgive me for the times when I've had opportunities to speak up for you, but I didn't. Forgive me for the times when I have turned around and gone toward the boats and the nets because that's easier. So I'm sorry, and I'm putting it on the line for you again. And then if you're trusting Christ for the first time, then you just say right now, Jesus, in the best way I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can begin following you today and for the rest of my life. Jesus, thank you for loving me and saving me. It's in your great name that we pray. Amen. We're going to close with uh, a great song. Called, it's called the Desert Song. And Jeff, when it's the right time, you just dismiss us. I love you guys. Thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great week. If I don't see you before next Sunday, I'll see you then. I love you guys.